When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. Uh, Sunday morning. This is August 2nd, isn't it? OMG. Summer is flying. Poor Wendy, she started teaching Thursday. Already? I know. I said, oh my. Oh, wow. Yes, they they started last week. I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I I moved out of Alabama. (laughs) (laughs) They started what? School? Yes, they did. Wendy started Thursday last week. Mm -hmm. Unbelievable, isn't it? They go year-round, essentially. It's getting to be that way. They've tried to line it up so that it kind of matches the holidays with the university. So they get a little bit of a fall break and then Christmas and then they get a kind of a big spring break. But it's, you know, I'm, I'd rather have my three months. Thank you very much. I need a stretch to recuperate, you know. So, but anyway, that's what she's doing. Bless her heart, y'all. Pray for Wendy. It is. It's what you get used to. I know. And we shouldn't complain because we're not eight to five, five days a week. You know, fifty years, fifty weeks a year. So, I shouldn't complain. But then, you guys don't have to live with one hundred and fifty thirteen-year-olds all day, every day. For you know, it it all works out. Yeah, you're right, and it is. It's what you're used to. You're exactly right. But took my breath away. <laughs> oh. Well, all right, we're ready to kind of get back into and finish up on the B attitudes. Um, Matthew chapter 5. We're going to stay in Matthew chapter 5, talking about the difference in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Um, because while the scholars tell you that Matthew is writing to the Jews, so he couldn't say the name of God, so he uses the kingdom of heaven. Then John and Mark, Luke and John use the kingdom of God, so they're interchangeable. But what I found, when you read Matthew, you find that he literally uses both very specifically. He does use the kingdom of God, and he does use uh, the kingdom of heaven. And um, because he's very specific about it, that's why I've chosen Matthew to look at. Now, there are three layers to this thing. The kingdom of God is within. Jesus said that. It's within you. It is all about lordship. It is all about you being in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father, Holy Spirit being in you. And it is all about being seated at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus. The righteousness of God. That is the kingdom of God. And you and I should be living so that we are in the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God should be flowing through us into the kingdom of heaven. Okay. The kingdom of heaven has literally two meanings. The the thing is, is in the Greek there's one word for kingdom and it's basileia. But it, it can mean lordship or it can also mean territory and domain. Estate. So you have to understand the context of how it's being used in order to understand. Jesus sometimes speaks about the kingdom of heaven as being exclusive, meaning, you know, if you if you have the righteousness of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. 
Okay. But then again, he'll turn around and speak about it is harder for uh, a rich man to get into the kingdom of God, you know, than for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. Um, so you have to understand what he's talking about. Jesus is a direct descendant of David. He is a king in his own right. Okay? And um, when he is speaking of the kingdom of heaven, he can be referring to the whole shebang that he created at the beginning of the world, you know, at the beginning of the material world. Or he can be speaking about his own lordship in this world. Um, eventually, his kingdom will manifest itself on earth. But just like he told Pontius Pilate, he said, I am a king, but my kingdom is not of this material world. He should have said, yet. But he didn't say yet. He said, it, you know, his kingdom is a spirit kingdom right now. And the people who are were following him, the people who knew him as Messiah, that was his kingdom, plus all the angels. He says, I have legions of angels. My father could call legions of angels to get me out of this if he wanted to. But um, his was a heavenly, a spirit kingdom, not a material kingdom. Now one day, that material kingdom is going to come to pass when Jesus is seated on the throne in this material world. God is still going to be God. He is still going to be spirit. He is still going to be in all things, holding all things together. And the kingdom of God will reign through Jesus into this kingdom of heaven, just like it does us. Um, the kingdom of God should come through us into the world. Jesus prayed in um, the Lord's Prayer. He said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, meaning the third heaven, the perfect place where God is. That happens through us. You and I are seated together with Jesus in heavenly places, in the perfection of God. We are clothed in the righteousness of God. We're seated in that perfection in the spirit realm. But you and I are the vessel through which that treasure can pour out into the world. Okay? And um, in order for us, and he's speaking to a population here who, who have been taught the, the Jewish law, some and some have not, but there are people who are hungry for a truth that's deeper than what they've had. You know, they're, they're trodden under the Romans. They're trodden under the feet of their own synagogues and uh, temple, uh, the Sanhedrin. They're, they're trodden under. And they wanted the good news that Jesus was preaching. And he says, if you want to see the kingdom of heaven, then you need to have a certain heart and a certain attitude or else you can't see it. And the word see there literally means comprehend with understanding. So it's like grasp it with your mind's eye. You can't grasp the kingdom of God with your mind's eye unless you have an open heart, an open mind that, that is seeking for that. You have to look for it to find it. This isn't something that's just going to drop out of heaven on you. Okay? Um, so we went through uh, the, the first ones. The word blessed is the word makarius, which means empowered to prosper. Jesus is not telling them thou shalt like the Ten Commandments. 
but he is giving them attitudes that they should have if they want to live an overcoming life in the kingdom of heaven because that's where they exist in the kingdom of heaven and um, so he says these people that have this mindset are the ones that overcome he said you're empowered to prosper if you are poor in spirit poor meaning you have the attitude of a person who's poverty stricken so that you are always seeking to get what you need your hands are always out you're willing to grab um, desperately at, at what's going to meet your needs and a poor person is always wide open and desperately seeking what is needed then he said blessed are they that mourn well the word is to grieve after blessed are those who grieve after things well when you live a life without Jesus Christ in it you live a life of grieving there is always something in you missing you're always trying to fill it up with something but when you discover what it is that's lost what it is that's missing you grieve the absence of it you grieve the, the loss of it. And he says a person who is grieving is a person who is desperately trying to res restore what was lost. You can grieve over a lot of things. Like I, I really did grieve over, I guess, the change in my life when I retired. I, I went through that whole grieving process because a part of my life died. You know, and I, I went through all of it. All the different steps of it. I could see it clearly, you know. Because it's it wasn't just a job. It's what I what, who I was for 40 years of my life. Every day of my life. Whether I was in the classroom or not, I was a teacher. You know, and the minute that's gone, there's a, a hole that's left. You know, I knew it was right. God fired me. I knew he was telling me to quit. It wasn't that. But there's that hole that has to be filled. Now God's filled it up. But you know, I grieve that loss. And God says when you're grieving over a loss, it's because you it's lost love, lost desire, lost whatever. So he says when you have that grieving heart, the Holy Spirit will rush right in and bring you the comfort. Um it's just an opportunity for him to become that comforter, counselor, you know, everything that you need um, to fill up that hurt. And um, so he said, a grieving heart can see the kingdom of God. Um, then he said, a meek person. Now that doesn't mean a person who's a, 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 a doormat. Look at Jesus. He stood in the temple and called the Pharisees hypocrites and, you know painted tombs with dead bones inside and he said ugly things about them vipers and liars and so it wasn't meekness does not mean that you um, and and nor does the one that we're going to talk about about peacemakers it doesn't mean that you try to get along with evil that is not what a person who is meek is all about but the person who is meek before God is the person's going to see the kingdom of heaven. A person who is meek before God realizes um, his inability to get things done. In the, in the uh, King James book, it's always called infirmities. Like Paul says, um, and we, you know, 
we don't know how to pray for our infirmities. Um, and there are several other places where he refers to them as infirmities. But it doesn't mean sickness. Infirmities is asthenia, which means the inability to get things done. So when you realize that you can't get things done on your own and you are humble before God and you realize that He alone is your salvation and you begin to completely depend on Him, that's when you're going to be able to lay hold of and see the kingdom of God. As long as you're misindependent like I used to be and you put God in the corner and say, I got this, Lord, you are never going to see the kingdom of heaven. It's when you begin to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own, that He can reveal Himself to you. That's when He comes. That's when He floods you with, um, you know, with everything you need. But as long as you're fat and sassy and comfortable in your own self, you are not going to be able to comprehend the kingdom of God. So you have to be meek. Those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. People who are so... They're dying, panting, you know, as a deer pants for the water. So my soul pants for you. Um, so thirsty that you want to drink in as much of God as you can get. Feed on as much of God as you can get. That hungry, thirsty spirit is the one that's going to be like that sponge that's able to just soak it all in. And that's when the baptism of the Holy Spirit comes. You know, Jesus says, when you mourn, and you will mourn when I'm gone. This is in John 14. He says, don't worry about it. I'm not going to leave you alone. The Holy Spirit will come and comfort you. So now he's saying, and when you are so thirsty and so hungry for me and my presence, I will not only just come in with you, I will baptize you. I will soak you in the presence of my Holy Spirit. And then the merciful. Um, <clears throat> blessed are the merciful. Um, mercy is that part of God's love that deals with the effects of sin in the world. Grace is all about sin. It's just about cleaning you up and, uh, and putting you in right standing with God so that the, the power of God flows through you. But mercy is that part of love that deals with the fallen world and the, and the injury. It's, it's compassion for the fallen world, okay? And um, he says, when you are merciful to others, when you begin to have that compassion and pity on others, and you are that vessel that I can use, you're going to be able to see me move through you. You know, you'll be able to see it. And that's where we left off. Um, mercy has to come to you in order to flow through you. So the mercy is yours. If you show mercy, you'll receive mercy. Well, it it actually goes the other way. It's, it's if you are if you are full of God's love, then the mercy is going to flow through you to everybody else. But it has to come to you first. God has to be merciful to you in order for you to be able to see that and pass it on to somebody else. If you've never seen the mercy of God in your life, you can't possibly begin to share it with somebody else. So God's saying, if you want to live in the kingdom, you're going to have to understand that your attitude opens the door for, the, for God to come and minister to you and through you. And um, so when we left off last week, uh, go back to Matthew chapter 5. We have two B attitudes, attitudes that you should be. Two B attitudes. 
left to talk about. The next one is, it starts with verse 8, blessed or macarius, empowered to prosper, are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The word see there is perceive, experience, um, not just see him with your eyes but understand, lay hold of him. We're never going to understand all of him but you will be able to grasp it. You know, you will be able to grasp it. And he says, you have to have a pure heart. And by that, there's the picture here is, um, first, pureness is, um, it's the same word that's used in um, John 15 when he talks about, you know, I am the vine and you're the branches. And then he talks about some of the branches that run along the ground and they have to be washed off and lifted up and put on the trellis in order to... Um, are you getting cold out there? I'm fine. I'm, okay. yeah, it's cold, but I'm fine. I don't know anything about how to do that. Don't you worry about it. Keep going. Okay. Shut loose. It, it's fine. She needs to keep cold. That's fine. Oh, no. I'm, I'm fine today. That, that, we're fine. Go ahead. Okay. Anyway, um, um, he's saying that, you know, you and I, when we walk around in the world, we get... Um, yeah, just... Push him up. There you go. There you go. Oh. Yeah, yeah. Really? Don't, don't you get hot? That's okay. Don't you get hot? You're the one talking. No, I'm good. Okay. I'm good. Okay. Um, he's when we walk around in the world all day, we are bombarded from the minute we wake up until the minute we go to bed with the world. We are bombarded with it. And um, so it is real easy to put your eyes on what's going on in the world because it is right in your face. But when you, are, when you are looking at your circumstances, you are not pure in heart. Heart means that center, that area where you have your understanding. You, you're um, looking to the right, looking to the left, just like Peter when he got out of the boat. Yeah, it was pure in heart. His his mind was focused on Jesus. He was going to Jesus, but then what happened? He lost his focus, and the world contaminated his focus. And when the world contaminated his focus, he lost it and sank. And Jesus says, if you want to be blessed in the kingdom, you're going to have to be sure that your focus is right on that you don't allow the things of the world to contaminate your thinking. The, the devil wants to do that more than anything. So you want to focus on God as your head, Jesus as, as your Lord, with a singleness of focus and thought. So that whatever comes out of your mouth is always going to be what the Word says, despite what the world says. You know, and a lot of times... You'll say what the world says just because you don't want to look like a fool. But then that tells you right away, if the world's words come out of your mouth, that you're contaminated. That you are not completely pure in heart. That, you, that your focus is so skewed that what you see is as real to you as what you don't see. Um, I want to look at two scriptures here. Find 2 Corinthians 4. And um, 
Uh-huh. And then we're going to go to Proverbs 4. So 2 Corinthians 4. Stick your finger there. And then go back to Proverbs 4. Um... I had an interesting revelation here on this about two weeks ago. I've been standing and believing and speaking the word for some things and um, declaring what I knew to be true, and I do believe it to be true. But the Lord showed me something about my pureness of heart in that um, a part of me was sliding along the ground, okay? And I'll show you what I'm talking about in just a minute. Look at Proverbs 4. This is a pure heart. My son, attend to my words. Verse 20, right? Yeah, verse 20. Attend to my words. That means... Lay your attention on my word. Don't put the attention on the world. Put your attention and your focus on my word. Incline your ear to my sayings, meaning you need to hear that word. If you have to read it out loud to yourself, say it out loud to yourself, listen to somebody else teach on it. The more you can do that, the stronger the word is going to get in you. Okay? Now I was good with this. Because I was saying it and I was hearing it and I was reminding myself of it. But look at what else you have to do. Let them not depart from your eyes. You have to look at those scriptures. It's not enough to just pop them off off the top of your head. Which is, I'm really good at. I am really good at that. Out of the abundance of my heart, my mouth speaks. But God says that's not enough. There's an obedience here that I had missed. You may be a little better at this than me, but keep it in the midst of your eyes. Don't let it depart from your eyes. I had gotten away from taking those scriptures that I know so well and looking at them with my eyes. I had just been saying them off the top of my head, you know, but I need to keep them in the, in my eyesight. So if you're believing for something, even if you know the scriptures by heart, you need to read them. You need to get in the Word. You need to write them down. You need to see them, not just say them. And not just see them in your mind's eye, but see them with your eyes' eyes. These are your physical eyes. Do not let that Word depart from your eyes. Your eyes need to be on this Word all the time. That was such a huge revelation to me. Because I kept thinking, Lord, I am standing, I'm believing. Why is this not happening? And when I read this, I went, oh my goodness. There it was. I had let it depart from my eyes. Because I was relying on my memory. But I need to be sure that even my eyes are full of the Word. And I'll tell you what, that's tedious when you know these scriptures by heart. That's a tedious practice. But it is an obedience it is an obedience. And um, so I've had to go back and, and do that again. A long time ago, I used to 
And I still have it. I have my Sword of the Spirit. I think I've told you about it. It's my little notebook. But as I read the Word, when I would get revelation about a subject, I just divided it into subjects like my kids and my job and, you know, marriage and home and needs. And then every time I found a scripture, I would write it down in that book. Write it down, write it down. And any revelation I had about it. So that then when I needed when I needed it, I would go back and get that book, flip to those scriptures, and say those scriptures over and over again. I was keeping it in, in my eyes. I didn't let it depart from my eyes. But that little book now is collecting dust in my in my cupboard. And so I went to get that book and dust it off. Because I need to keep it in the midst of my eyes. I need to keep it in, in my eyes. Which, you know, I just hadn't thought about. I just hadn't thought about it. Now, when did you get that revelation when you were reading scripture? About two weeks ago. Were you reading it? or were I was you reading this scripture. I was reading that scripture. And it's just like, you know, I've been through this so many times, but... I was reading it in a new, I, I have a new little Bible at home. So I had just started back through Proverbs. You know, so I was just reading through Proverbs for the fun of it. And um, I got to that scripture and it was like, God said, just back the train up. Go back and read that again. What does that say? And there it was. Let them not depart from your eyes. And then it says, keep them in the midst of your heart. Because my thought was, you know, your first thought is, well, I do, you know, the eyes of my understanding. But he said, no, I'll read the rest of it. He says, then keep it in the midst of your heart, which is the center of your understanding. So you don't necessarily just keep it in your mind's eye. You keep it in your eye's eyes. That's what that sentence says. You have to do both. You have to do both in order for that word to stay with you. And really, when this was written, when when this was written, there was no Bible Mm-mm. to have it in front of you. Right. Interesting. Yeah, you know. But Solomon is telling you how to prosper here. Now, let's go on and read more because this is the exact picture of a pure heart. He says... Because they are life to those who find them and health. That word means medicine to all their flesh. Now look, keep your heart with all diligence. Protect, guard, defend your heart. And it has two meanings. In other words, it means hold all of the word in your heart. Don't let it escape. But it also means defend your heart from what the world has to say to you. So you take in with your eyes and with your understanding and with your mouth and your thoughts and your ears the Word of God. Then you stand and defend that and hold on to it and protect it. And then you absolutely reject and push away the world's thinking. So it has, it has a twofold meaning there. Because out of it, out of your understanding come the issues of life and that's the forces of life. What you understand to be true is going to come out of your mouth. And those are the forces of life. Now, here's the pure of a heart. Put away from you a froward mouth. Froward means crooked. doesn't mean like cursing and swearing. It means stop speaking counter to what the Word says. 
you know? So don't say what the world says about stuff. Stop doing that. That's a crooked mouth. Okay? And perverse lips put them far from you. You may have um, the flu. You're not going to deny that you got fever because that, that's ridiculous. You got fever. But you're not going to go around saying, I have the flu. Because you're going to get more of it. You know? Or I'm catching a cold. Are you going to run after it and catch the cold? You're going to chase it down and grab it because that's what you're saying with your mouth. You're going to have what you say. You may be aching all over, but what you want to do is find the scriptures on healing. Put them in your eyes. Put them in your mouth. Let them come into your ears. And then speak, I'm healed by the stripes of Jesus. Say what God says about you. Your teeth may be chattering and your hair may be hurting. But you say, thank you, Lord, that I'm healed by your stripes. I'm healed by your stripes. This is a trespass. It's not mine. I'm not having it. Get out. All the symptoms of it go from my body. And you begin to do that and your flesh is going to turn around. So don't speak crooked words. Don't speak counter to what God says. I have the flu. Don't say that. Don't say that. Say, I am healed by the stripes of Jesus. That's more true. Okay, then it says, let your eyes look right on. And let your eyelids look straight before you. That literally means put your eyes, focus your eyes on that one spot, on the Word of God. And don't blink. When it says, let your eyelids look straight, it means don't even blink. Look at the Word, look at the Word, look at the Word with your both sets of eyes and don't even blink because the devil's going to play stare you down. And the minute you blink, he wins. So a pure in heart person is a person who doesn't even blink. They keep their eyes on that Word no matter what. You don't even blink. Ponder the path of your feet and let your ways be established. Turn not to the right hand or to the left. Remove your foot from evil. So a person who is pure in heart is a person who stays focused on what God says, doesn't look at their circumstances, never lets their circumstances become bigger than the Word of God. The Word always ought to be bigger in you than what the world says. And that is a job. It's a hard job. Alright, now flip to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul's talking here about us. I love this. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Okay? But he's speaking a deeper truth here and this is also a picture of a pure heart. Um... Verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. There's that meek heart. You know, you know that that power is not of you. It is of God. But there it is. The kingdom of God flowing through you into, your, into the kingdom of heaven. Into your circumstances. We're troubled on every side and yet not distressed. 
Are you troubled on every side and not distressed, or are you troubled and distressed? Type A people struggle with that one, I'll tell you. We are perplexed, but not in despair. So perplexing things happen, but they're not in despair. And he's going to tell you why in a few minutes. We're persecuted, but we're not forsaken. We're cast down, but we're not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus Christ. That the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our bodies. You know, when, when you become born again, you identify with Jesus. You, your lifeline is a race, past, present, and future. And you now are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, his lifeline is your lifeline, past, present, and future. So you always bear about in your body the death of Jesus Christ and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You bear it in your own body. Although you can't see it, it's there. And that's a mind's eye thing. You have to see yourself in his lifeline. For we which live are already delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So their death, so then death works in us, but life in you. We, having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore I have spoken, we also believe and therefore we speak. Whatever you believe to be true is going to come out of your mouth. Okay? That's the way the whole kingdom of God operates. When God had the fullness of this creation in his mind from beginning to end, Alpha and Omega, he spoke. And that's the way this world operates. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. For all things are for your sake, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, yet our inward man is renewed day by day. He's looking at his inward man, not his outward man. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now here's, here is the pure heart. While we look not at things which are seen, Paul does not focus on the things he can see. He's not focusing on being in a prison cell in Rome. He's not focusing on being beaten with rods and in and out of prison. He's not focusing on the struggles when the plane, when the ship sank. He doesn't look at those things. He doesn't focus on those things. But at the things which are not seen, there's your pure heart. His pure heart sees only the things that are not seen. What God says is true. <clears throat> For the things which are seen are temporal. They're subject to change. What changes them? The things that are unseen. Because everything seen was made out of what is unseen. The unseen realm is more real than the seen realm. Because the seen realm was made out of the unseen. God is the unseen. So, the reason you want to focus on the unseen, the things that are not seen, is because they're eternal and those things <coughs> will change what is seen. It is what comes out of the spirit realm that changes what the material realm is like. 
And you can sow for good or you can sow for evil. If you sow to your flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh corruption. If you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap life and blessing. So you have to get your mind focused on what? Things that are unseen. Because they're eternal. Things that are seen are subject to change out of the eternal realm. So you need to just stay focused on what God is doing and what God is saying, what His Word says. And these storms that come and go, um, you need to just turn around and speak to those storms. We need to start declaring, speaking to those storms, and let the kingdom of God flow through us into this kingdom of heaven. Um, But it won't flow until we get this heart right. Okay, and and the last one, let's go back to Matthew now. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Hmm. Children have the DNA of their dad. Okay? If you are not a child of the living God, you cannot be a peacemaker. God's name is Yahweh Shalom, the God of peace. Okay? You and I, with the DNA of our physical dad, do not have that gene. But when you are born again, and you are planted, your roots are planted in the love of God, and you have the DNA of God in you. Um, go to Second Peter. I'm going to show you the DNA of God real quick. It's also in First John, but go to Second Peter. Is it Second Peter? Look. No, where is it? Yeah, Second Peter chapter, First Peter chapter one. Go to First Peter chapter one. And Sandy, did you say that in order? Um, to be the children of God, we have to have the DNA of God, and we right. have to be born again to have that DNA. That's right. You have to be born of the Spirit, because God is Spirit and life, right? So you have to be born of the Spirit. And um, so I'm going to show it to you right now. We're going to start in First Peter, and then we'll go to First John. Because I want you to see that that when you're born again, it isn't just Jesus moving in. Okay, that, that's, that's part of it. But this born again thing is important because you are literally transformed into a new creature. The, the old creature is gone. That old dark person no longer exists anywhere. And if you are born again, you have to be born of something. If you're alive, you have to be alive from something. And so this is what um, Peter says. Um, Look at verse 21. 
in, in the chapter 1. Oh, well, go back up to 19. This is all good. But with the precious blood of Christ, as of the Lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundations of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who by him do believe in God that raised him from the dead and gave him glory that your faith and hope might be in God. Seeing you have purified your souls, there it is, that pure in spirit, in obeying the truth through the spirit under the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. That love is where peace resides. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of the incorruptible, by the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Jesus was of the seed of God. He was the word of God made flesh. Okay? Mary said, how am I going to have a child? And God says, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. And that seed will be holy in you. Okay? When you and I are born again, we are born of the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. We are Word too. And when it says seed, it's literally talking about seed. The seed are in the man's loins. Okay? The egg is in the woman's um, body, but the seed is in the man's loins. And... Um, so the seed that God plants is incorruptible seed, which means it it has his DNA in it. Okay, we get the DNA of our dad from that seed that's planted. So it's incorruptible. And that DNA is our DNA now. So we we're not just, you know, God moving in and living with us. We are born of God. We are birthed of God. We're not adopted kids. That word adopted has made it all sound so um, generic. Adopted for us is like taking in a child that is not of your DNA. But the word adopted when it's translated in scripture literally means made to sit in the seat of the oldest son. So it isn't about being um, of a different DNA. It's the same DNA. But if you are adopted, you are made to sit in the seat of the older son. So, you are of the DNA of God, which means you are his kids. When you're born again, you truly are his child. Now, if you have the DNA of God in you, well, let's go to 1 John. I'm going to show it to you again. In the mouths of two or three witnesses. Um... 1 John chapter 3 verse 9 Whoever is born of God does not commit sin for his seed, God's seed, remains in him. And he cannot sin because he is born of God. 
We have the DNA of the Father. Once you are born again, you are literally transformed into His kid. We act like Him. He's put us all the way back to Adam. Jesus is the second Adam and He is the firstborn of many, right? So we're one of the many and therefore we're like the second Adam, you know, who, who was absolutely perfect before God. Now, does that mean you don't make mistakes? No, we make mistakes. But God says you don't sin because you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You make mistakes and God's going to correct you. But you're not a sinner, okay? It, it's a, we're a different creature. That just hangs me up. It so does, much. doesn't it? But if you think about it, you think about it. You, Jesus is the DNA of God, right? Mm-hmm. And um, you would never say Jesus would commit sin, right? Because why? He's the Son of God. But if you have the DNA of God in you, if you have the very DNA of God in you, then how can you be a sinner? You have become the righteousness of God in Him. God is going to correct you. He's going to teach you. He's going to train you like every other dad ever trained his kids. But you are no longer under the subjection to the king of sinners. You are not. And every time you confess that you are, you just step right out from under the lordship of God and put yourself right back. You're confessing, I am a sinner. I am a follower of the one who causes sin. No, you don't you don't practice sin. You 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 make mistakes, you err and God corrects you, but you don't you don't practice sin. Right. And those mistakes are called sin in the Bible. Some of the things I do are back here called sin. But but you are not a sinner. Right. And I you know and when it happens then I just get this Right. And where are you saying? Yeah. Back here? What is back here? Well, what is anywhere, this? Anywhere, anywhere. What like, is this? Uh, this is the law. The Old Testament. Yeah. The law. Okay. Amen. Guess what? If you are born again, you are not under the law. I know. Yep. And where there is no law, sin is not imputed. Abraham was never considered a sinner because there was no law. Moses right. was not considered a sinner. The children of Israel didn't sin until after the law was given. Because where there is no law, sin is not imputed. What Adam and Eve did was not sin because there was no law. Not that I've committed adultery, but in the New Testament, Jesus said, Go and sin no more. So, but Who think, is he speaking to? Uh, Born again believers? No. No. He's well, not, I don't know. He's I not know. speaking. He hasn't been to the cross. Oh, true. He hasn't been to the cross. He hasn't been to the cross. Nobody's born again yet. There are no born again believers. You know, at that point, there are no born again believers. Okay. This is a hard concept because we have been brought up, you know, in such a different way. It's really hard to look at yourself as being the righteousness of God. Well, yeah, and so many evangelists that we trust do say. Yes, they do. Pray, ask for forgiveness of your sins. And God will be, God will forgive you. And John says it right here in chapter one. He says, you know, if you are, if you confess your sins, He is faithful and just to forgive yeah, you of yeah. your sins. But that's in chapter one. In chapter three, He says, what? After you've confessed your sins, been forgiven of your sins, been born again See, with the DNA of God, 
You are not a sinner anymore. See, and, and that keeps you from being pure in heart. As long as you begin to see yourself as vile and corrupt, as a person who commits sin, as a person who is unworthy, you are never going to be sure that you are good enough for the Word to work in your life. You're going to say, what if I did something wrong? What if I sinned? What if I've made this mistake? What if I've done that? And you will never be confident enough to even be able to appropriate the blessings of God in your own life. Well, I'm not worthy of that. You know, um, I'm just a sinner. I, I'm not worthy of that. Um, you know, I, I, I don't need to be healed. I'm not that worthy. You know, I, I, I'll just have to muddle through. You know, we, we can't even appropriate it for ourselves, much less appropriate it for anybody else. Oh, I'm really not worthy to pray for somebody else to be healed. You know, only, only a man who's a minister of God who has a healing ministry can do that. Not me. You know, I'm not worthy to do that. And, and God is trying to get us to see when you, are, when you are the DNA of God, all the fruit of God is in you. You begin to produce fruit, not of yourself, because you don't have the power to do that. And love is the first one. Joy, peace, then you become a peacemaker, okay? And um, what, um, what Jesus says about that is, blessed are the peacemakers for what? They are the children of God. You can't, you can't, there are two commandments that you and I have to follow. Love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and love your neighbors yourself. We, the love walk is our commandment. We're not under the law anymore. We're under the love walk. If you walk in love, you're not likely to do those other things. That's true. You know, if and you... Every, but every once in a It's while, the fulfillment of the law. Am I the only one that struggles? Oh, no. No. We all slip. And, and but I you know like what? The Holy Spirit is quick to say, back it up, sister. That's right. You know, and, and, and yeah. that's when you are crushed... He will gnaw on you and chew on you. It's not that he wants you to say sorry so you can be forgiven. If you say, I'm going to confess my sins so I can be forgiven, Jesus has no part in that. You did it. Yeah, yeah we've had you've yeah. this before. If, if you say, I confess my sins and I'm forgiven because I confess my sins, Jesus had no part in that. Nah, right, I agree. You know? Yeah. Uh, Jesus is the only one that can forgive and he already did. And we're clothed in his yes. righteousness. That Are you ever heartbroken about something you did? That's every not day. Every day. God? Then you say, I am so sorry I broke your heart, Lord. But you don't have to beg for forgiveness because your righteousness garment's been ripped off of you and you're standing naked again. The righteousness never leaves you. It never leaves you. But you're going to say, Lord, take me to the next place. Take me to the next place. Show me this. Teach me that. You know, even if you pray for people to be healed and they're not all healed, or even if you, you know, are ministering to somebody else and it doesn't all happen, don't go, oh my gosh, I must have been in sin because it, this didn't happen. Just let it be a learning experience. Not everybody Jesus prayed for got healed either. His whole hometown went away sick. You know, they, they just couldn't believe. But it, it wasn't on Jesus. You know, it was on them. And, um... If you are truly in Christ Jesus, there's no way you can be in Christ Jesus and be a sinner. It can't happen. But you and I have been taught and taught and taught and taught 
from the time we're two years old until it is more real to us than this message of grace. Grace is so foreign to us. So foreign to us. The lavishness of the love of God that He looks on you and I and we are not sinners. We can't sin. We can't. We might not be perfect yet in our flesh, but He's going to work on that. But sinners, no. No. We're not. And it's hard to accept that grace because we always feel like we need to do something about it. Well, and, and I guess when you say... So what are, if we're not sinners, what are we? We are the righteousness of God in Christ but Jesus. But when you mess up, what are you? You are still the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. But you are a child who, in the book of Hebrews, says, you know, don't detest the chastening of your dad. You know, he's going to correct you and and take you to a better place. He doesn't want you to say sorry and be forgiven because nothing changes. You just say, oops, sorry, did it again, no. and get well, forgiven and walk away. That's, not that's pure. what sorry that's, does. Yeah, that's not. You know, that's what sorrow that's does. That's like Catholic confession. Right. As long as I check in and that's right. do my thing. That's right. But in verse 10 there it says, whoever does not doeth not righteousness is not of God. That's and right. And there are times when I'm not righteous. I no. do the wrong well, thing. Yeah, but but he's talking there about somebody that lives in unrighteousness. Okay. You can't practice Once you're righteous, you are righteous. You can't. Once you're born again, you're born again. Once, that's right. You can never take off that garment of righteousness. Now, you can walk away and and there may come a time when, um, you know, you get so far away that you're not going to get back. But but then my question is, were you ever born again in the first place? Yeah. You know, a, a really, truly born-again person who gets grace, who gets grace, cannot see himself as a sinner anymore. Otherwise, what? You're crucifying Jesus again. Paul keeps saying that over and over. He says, you put him back on the cross every time you do that. See, for me, that's what keeps me when the devil starts saying, think you are doing this and doing that and I know in my heart has nothing to do with me and then God says to me don't take away what Jesus did the minute you step there you're saying oh well that wasn't enough for me I need more than and there's never more than that but I I devil in my ear sometimes going look at you Uh thank you but then you go it's not me it's not me right that's the Holy Spirit of what Christ right. did for me. He yeah. allows those Who, things to happen. That's right. The I devil's the one that brings way. condemnation. Yes. Paul says there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. If you feel condemned, it's not the devil. What did you say with the Holy Spirit? If you're no, it was was it you or Joy? If if it's condemnation, it's of the devil. Right. If it's conviction, it's of the Holy Spirit. That's right. And I think when I get what I feel is it's conviction, and I hate it when I let him down. Right. You That's know? right. And, and, and we do hate, hate it, it when we let him down. That's and, and different. Then, and then if I let him down on the same thing, because the things that I, you know, I don't, you know, I don't. I, the we all do that. It doesn't haunt me, but it's just I, I just, and I think it's the Holy Spirit that's just ba- because I know I, I mess up on the same things. Over and over. Well, then you've got to let him change you. So, you and don't I think mess that's up. when I've got to have those yeah. verses. Right. That's right. it. You have to. Yeah, you have to let God completely change you, so that you don't do the same things over and over. 
you know, sometimes it's a personality thing. It's just who you are. It's a judgment. But you know, judgment's um, what you know. I have no right to judge other people. Yeah. Yeah. Even though I know that's what they're doing is wrong. Right. Yeah. But but you, I gotta let you know, that go because you do that's because not my job. Well, that's right, it, and it's pride of life. That's right, and God has already judged them. It's already taken mm-hmm. care of. You you have to love them. Yeah. And that's what God does with us. It's already been taken care of. There's nothing that you can do that hasn't already been paid for in full. He doesn't recognize it anymore because it's paid for. Was it wrong? Oh yeah. But he paid for it in full. You don't owe him anything. Yeah. You know, and, and what he wants is for you to come on. Let's go on. Let's get you know, let's move to the next place. From glory to glory to glory. We're not moving out of the dark into the light. We're already we've done that. But once you're in the light, you move from the glory to the glory to the glory to the glory. Sometimes my light bulb dims. (laughs) Well, yeah, and that's because you're not supercharging your batteries, you know. And um, when you get out of the Word, when you keep it... and, And like I said, I had gotten lazy even with that. Keeping the Word in the midst of my mouth, I did. And But I had memorized it, so it was just, you know coming right out and he says no you keep it in the midst of your eyes too you you look at it you feed on it and I'll tell you for me that was hard because I'm wanting to move on you know God's yes. go back well, and look yeah. but you see it's just like that proverb I hadn't read it in years I knew it by heart but um well so we so easily we I think we can slip into the pride of life that we let go of having God at the center of everything at least for me. That's it. That's exactly right. And that's why he says you just can't do that. You have to keep your eyes on things that are unseen. Not on things that are seen. And and the only reason he's telling us this is because that is what makes you an overcomer in Christ Jesus. As long as you're feeding on what's seen and your eyes are understanding what's in the material realm, and you're trying to apply the material realm to the spirit realm, you're not going to overcome. But when you begin to, and that's why Jesus says, repent. Change the way you think. Change the way you look at things. Because the kingdom of God is at hand. It's superimposed on us. That word at hand means superimposed. Spirit on flesh. So if you're always looking at the flesh, he says if you're focusing on what is seen, that's temporal. That's subject to change. Even your flesh. Your flesh. But you need to focus on the spirit where things are not subject to change. Your spirit woman is not going to change. Your spirit woman is always going to be the righteousness of God. But if you live out of that righteousness, even your flesh is going to change. It just will. You know? Thanks, Sandy. Yeah. No, I, I know. I wrestle with it too. You know, you don't want to be a judge. You don't want to set yourself up like that. We we assess what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. And we do not ever um, accept what is wrong. You don't ever do that. You don't accept it. But you love people and move people from where they are to a better place. Well, okay. You know? So instead of getting disgusted with people, which uh, I've been there a lot, um, you don't get disgusted with where people are. They are where they are. Mostly they're in the dark. So they're going to act like dark people. What would you expect? You shouldn't expect any different. 
But what we have is light and what we need to do is say, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done in that person's life. And if I can bring the kingdom to that person, I'm going to take them from where they are to a better place. And so instead of becoming a judge, it becomes a purpose on your part to move somebody to a better place. Whether you're praying for them or talking to them or whatever. But never back down on the word. You know, if somebody tries to convince you that something in the word is not right, you say, nope. You know, I've chosen to believe this. If you want to believe that, you can, but you're going to be arguing with God, not me. There you go. You know, I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any say in that. But I've just chosen what I'm going to believe. You know, and, and I'll show you how to get there. I'll take you there. I can explain it to you. But, um, yeah. you know, but you, you have, we have to love, and and I know it's hard because I'm, I mean, you know, I was a teacher too. I know how that was. You just want to pinch folks and um it's not nice <laughs> somebody told me once when you start beating yourself up for making mistakes you know don't don't fall into that beating yourself up just say i'm a practicing christian that's I'm right perfect yet i'm practicing <laughs> that's right and yeah and and in god's eyes you're see, already see, perfect that's <laughs> and that's the part that's so consistent comforting. In his eyes you already are perfect. And instead of making you feel worse, it should make you feel better because but you go, you know you what? It makes you feel worse. It makes you feel You like know what? If down. he sees me as perfect, I'm going to do that's my best right. to be that. Well, I want to be exactly what he sees me to be. Yes. And then your motivation changes. Yeah, yeah. You know, your motivation changes. You know, but you need to see yourself the way God sees you. If he sees you as righteous, then you want to maintain that righteousness. I want to be exactly what God sees me to be. And if I have to go through a little bit of heat and a little bit of, you know, discussion with the Father, I'll go through it. That's right. But yeah, you know, exactly right. But, But once you get grace, once you understand that, you don't want to be anything but graceful. You know, you just well, don't. Your definition, you know, that so. uh, love is great. Grace is love expressed. That's it. That's that's the big one to focus on. It is. That's exactly right. And um, and that's exactly where we need to be. But he's, you know, when you get there, it's a much more peaceful place to be. Yeah. You know, instead of chewing on stuff all the time. Poor Bill. He used to get the brunt of it all the time. Like, you know, the silly things like. He's two inches from a coat hanger and he hangs his slacks on the hook, you know. And um, so then you're putting those clothes up, you know, rather than going, I'm okay with that. Praise God, at least I got a man that can hang his pants up somewhere, you know. So, yeah, you know, that's really, it's the little stuff that used to get to me because I'm that just that anal. And um, I just kind of learned like, oh, you know, whatever. You know, he has he's home now a lot, and he sits in his chair in the living room. He has his Bible out and the newspapers, and he's got a little table that he sets up. Well, it's right at the front door. Now, a few years ago, it wouldn't have been there very long, you know. But then I keep thinking, you know, Lord, he's in the Word. Every That's day right. he is in that Word, That's pouring right. over that book, feeding on that Word. I'm going, thank you, Lord, for that crummy-looking table in that chair. But, you know, yeah, you know, you just have to get to that place where you just let stuff go. And it's really much easier for much easier. And you have to have the right be attitude. The be attitude. That is exactly right. The right be attitude. <laughs> oh Lord. Let me just pray for you. <clears throat> Father, thank you for today. You you bless us so 
so much and I know we, we don't even see nearly what you've done for us and um, we just want to thank you for it though and Father I ask that you move us into a place so that those blessings not only just fill us up fill our lives up but will flow up through us Lord into your kingdom I, I'm just so much like Jesus in that I, I just pray your kingdom come your will be done on earth um, as it is in heaven and Father we just want to be those vessels those earthen vessels full of that precious precious treasure of your kingdom Lord we love you and we praise you and we thank you for all things and I ask that you keep us safe until next week and we give you all the glory Amen If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all listen up CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.